Welcome to episode 114 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today is JP Breen and Ryan, who's usually across the table from me, is up in what lacrosse today. Yep. What's going on up there? Dominion Lots. Okay, I didn't know if there was some like beer festival or something up there. Don't they do that in lacrosse? Uh, they they do have a lot of beer in lacrosse. That that is not the purpose of this trip. We went and saw a play last night. It was interesting. Oh, I was just going to ask if it was post-Oktoberfest everything. I don't care about plays. This is a baseball podcast. <laughs> so what I will say is, is this the, the portion of the podcast in which Ryan tries to tell us that lacrosse is basically Madison, but a little bit in western Wisconsin? He does it's, very it's much. It's a mini Madison. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it's not. Just stop that. So lacrosse, it's fine. That should be their motto. I mean, it is fine. I've been there. It's fine. Lacrosse is great. Uh, you disparaging lacrosse will not stand. Like, not this is not okay. Saying something is fine is not disparaging it. It's fine. There, right. are, there are a lot of things in this world I don't like. Lacrosse is not one of them that I don't like. It's fine. Ryan There's is no- very much part of internet culture where you either have to like love it as being the greatest thing ever or absolutely hate it. There's no just like, yeah, it's fine. And also, I don't drink. So like the vast majority of things in lacrosse that people really like, like I couldn't really give less of a shit about. I mean, they have yeah, I mean, they have a university there. It's fine. They have, they have several. It's fine. They have a river. There's nothing wrong. They, they do have a river. The river Though, now not, isn't necessarily fine. I don't know I if it's <laughs> now that I'm in now that I'm in Oregon and can drive to the ocean and like and stuff within an hour. Uh, you know, having a river nearby isn't necessarily a huge sell anymore. Okay, I mean, they have several rivers and they're good rivers. And stop disparaging lacrosse. Do they have a big river? They have a big river. Yep. They have a big river. They also have smaller rivers. Do they have a black uh, muddy river? Uh yeah. I mean it's it's not clear. It's not I it's not like seriously muddy like it gets to be down on the other end, but it's it's a black muddy river. Okay. I thought you'd enjoy that a little bit more. So anyways, uh after we get done disparaging lacrosse for a little bit, apparently, I guess we'll get on with this podcast, which you can help fans find on uh Apple Podcasts by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate. You can also review us on Spotify. Um we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on second base. Ryan is at RD Top, and I am at Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. So check that out. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Uh, Carbon 4 has a black friday thing coming up ryan did you see that i did not yeah they're doing black friday at at carbon four this year i think it's like some dark uh stouts aged stouts oh yeah it's it's fairly common now so and i think some of them are canned so you can take them home yeah it's not just yeah it's not just like fill up a growler while you're there so uh check that out on their website at carbon4.com uh, don't forget that you can visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's east side. And as always, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with their promo code MKE Tailgate. For more information, check out carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Let's get to it. We had we had a few, uh, I guess, free agency started, kind of. Is that what we call it? So technically, free agency, I think, opens on like Monday or Tuesday. 
but now is the time when all the roster decisions have to get made. So, or a lot of them anyway, options and stuff have to be done. Yeah. So Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal both uh, declined the mutual option and they become free agents. So none of this was unexpected. Even when they signed the mutual options uh, in the offseason, everybody knew that basically they were going to be declined. So um, I guess this comes back to the question that we've been asked for, I, I guess it was starting in probably May. You know, which which guy will the Brewers more likely sign next season? So, JP, do, do they need to make a decision on one of these two guys? Do, do either Moustakis or Grandall need to come back to the Brewers in 2020 for them to be a successful team again? No, I don't think one of them has to come back. I think it depends on what they want. They've got so many different places they can upgrade. In right, I mean, you would think that Moustakis gives them some certainty at third base. Uh, which they they sorely need. Uh, you would think that Grandall gives them one of the few impact options at at the catching position, but at the same time, we've seen in the past two or three free agent windows that both a giving bigger or multi year contracts to catchers, a la you know Wilson Ramos, doesn't necessarily work out all that well. Uh, and you see a lot of the guys that end up becoming really big producers behind the plate are often uh, guys that, that nobody had really heard of or guys that ended up signing one-year deals. That's when you look at the guys like, you know, Kurt Suzuki ends up being that guy a lot. Mitch Garver was somebody, he wasn't a free agent signing, but he's somebody that just like popped up out of nowhere. The catcher position is so weird that you don't have to bring back Grandall to be able to have an upgrade at that position. I mean, we we saw that a couple of years ago when they had Manny Pena and he was and he was the player to be named later in the K-Rod deal for uh, when he got sent to the ti the Tigers, if I remember correctly. And he ended up just like all of a sudden becoming somebody that was useful, which nobody had predicted whatsoever. So catchers are catchers are pretty weird. I think there are a lot of different directions they can go and the upgrades that they're going to need in the pitching staff, um, the upgrades that they might need it at shortstop. They've got a lot of different places. That's not even talking about first base they've got a lot of different places that they can go. So I don't think that you have to target either Grandall or Moustakis to be able to say that you upgraded the roster in a meaningful way. I think that getting an upgrade to the roster without bringing back Grandall is going to be tough in general, just because they're so far to fall. The Brewers last year led uh, all of MLB in catcher war, according to fan graphs, with 6.4. And the vast majority of that is Yasmani Grandall. Um, Manny Pena works as a backup and you can have that in a backup position where you can kind of lean on him more against, uh, say, left-handed starters. That can really work well for you. If he's forced to be the number one option or if they're forced to do some sort of a timeshare, you're going to lose out on a lot of wins at the catcher position and it's going to be tough. So I think Grandall is between the two guys. For me, he was the number one priority. I think you have to try to bring Grandall back and you know be willing to push it out potentially to three or four years to do that. Uh, otherwise, you are looking at a pretty big fall off at the catcher position, and there just isn't that much out there on the catcher market to replace him if you don't get him. So, and I, mean, I expect the competition will be stiff for him in the off season. I mean, you can you can make a trade. You can, but again that can be tricky too because what do the brewers have to trade of value so 
Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's not going to be a perfect option, right? It's either you're going to have to be able to to pay for Grandall to the point that you can uh, outbid a lot of the other teams that are going to be coming in for catchers, and that's not a perfect solution. And, and yeah, there might not be a perfect solution in terms of trading for somebody, but you've got a lot of guys on on the market that you can bring in that are, um, you know, there there are veteran guys that you can go out and and look at i mean there's not just grand all or just an absolute like black hole now we have yeah. a patreon question from darren jones he asked do you think the brewers will hand out a free agent contract this offseason that exceeds the total value of the one they signed lorenzo kane to in 2018 so over 80 million dollars is this basically is yasmani Grandal a guy that you'd have to go potentially that high to sign this offseason i know last last year was weird but it seems like he had both another excellent regular season and then unlike in los angeles he also had a good postseason so he doesn't have that hanging over him going into this offseason so um i guess how much can the brewers spend this offseason on one player with the number of positions that they need to to cover in the offseason I mean, some of that's going to depend on who they decide to bring back and who they don't, because they have some big decisions we're going to talk about in a few minutes uh, that they have to decide, you know, on guys like Chase Anderson and Eric Thames. If they do decide to bring those guys back, it puts them in a tougher position to spend uh, big money on any one position. I think they could still do it, but then it becomes a question of they opened last year with a $122 million payroll. How big are they going to go opening day in 2020? Are they willing to push it to, uh, say, 235 or I'm sorry, 135 million? If so, then there's a lot of wiggle room. If they're trying to stay more down in the mid 120s, which I think would be a shame, then they're going to have less room to do well, that. So let's. So there are two different things that I want to bring up uh, to answer Steve's question. No, I don't think any. Well, are you asking like, are they going to? Like is Darren asking, are they going to sign anyone for over eighty million total or Grandall? He's asking if they're going to they will sign anyone. Grandall signed for what was it this year, eighteen or nineteen million dollars for the yeah, season? I don't think Grandall has a shot to get over eighty. You don't think he could get close to twenty million dollars a year for four years? Uh, I don't think he gets twenty or above twenty for four years, and I don't think he gets a five-year contract. So, no, I mean he's going to be thirty-two next year. I don't see anybody willing to to spend that amount. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't be considered for it, but I don't see that being something. If he couldn't even get twenty million on a one-year deal, that he's going to get it over an extended four or five-year contract. Yeah, uh, I agree. I don't think he's getting that much. But at the same time, um. The answer is for the payroll is going to be um, it's going to be complicated because we're, nobody's allowed to see the books. Uh, the answer is they can always spend more money than they do. Um, how much? We don't know. And it's designed to be that way for a reason. And whether they're willing to push it is always going to be dependent on are they able to sign somebody for a price that they feel comfortable with? And that feeling comfortable with is a sign in which or is, is any signing that they feel like they can accrue more value from that player than they will have to invest in money. And that was the case with, you know, Moustakis that they ended up bringing in and, and Grandall. And so, like, they ended up spending more money last year than I think a lot of people expected. And but that was because they got a lot of good deals. It just kind of fell to them. And so they were like, yeah, we'll spend it. It's always about 
the team is always willing to spend money when they feel like it's a good investment, meaning they feel like they're on the plus side side of it. I don't think that the team has shown outside of maybe like the Ryan Braun second contract extension that they're willing to just like throw money out and need it. Yeah, I, it's going to be a very complicated situation. I do agree with you that a big part of why they spent as much as they did last year was the players were there for them to get a discount on. Like they were able to spend that money and spend it very well. And whether or not they would do that again just to get back up to a certain number, I don't know. We know that David Stearns and Mark Adonazio are careful about how they spend money that way. So no, they won't. I, they won't spend money just to spend money. They will spend money if they feel like it is a good investment, and that's it. Yeah. Well, speaking Agreed. of potentially good investments, the the Nationals won the World Series, and Steven Strasburg was the uh, World Series MVP. Um, first off, thoughts on the World Series? Because we didn't really even go over that in the beginning. It was great to see, uh, you know, the, all the photos with like Ryan Zimmerman and whatnot, uh, lifting it up and and seeing. Everybody like Max Scherzer, I think, had the the photo of him on the plane with it coming back. And Sean Doolittle had the had the comment. I think he had a tweet where he was just like, it's really difficult to drink uh, to drink alcohol out of this. We tried and and kind of commenting that they were surprised that like the trophy has actually held up. And I think they took a photo of it. You could see some of the prongs were bent. But um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been fun to be able to see a lot of the players for for the nationals whether it's howie kendrick or or a lot of other ones be able to celebrate in a way it, it meant a lot to them and i'm not saying yeah. it meant a lot to the astros but yeah scherzer and uh and anibal sanchez getting to have their moment because they've been teammates on good teams for a while and had never won the world series even though they were you know they played in them and they were in good shape to win them so that was cool to see and it definitely beat the alternative of Houston winning it, which I definitely didn't want to see that happen again. So, yeah, it was it was a fun thing, and it's a good. I'm surprised uh, no nice one's commented. Team, I'm surprised no one's commented on the fact that it was just an entertaining series. Well, was it? I mean, I I didn't watch any of games three, four, five, but I heard they were mostly dogs. So yeah, I, was... I know games six and seven were good. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was actually that entertaining. You don't think it was entertaining? More... I mean, we got a game seven. Uh, we got some good games in there. I mean, yes, not every single game was good, but it went I to game were, seven. Yeah, I think there were like two good games. You know, you had teams winning. Teams only won on the road, which is weird. It was. Yep. But the vast majority of them were like, okay, there's this is a six or seven run game. Like the first couple innings were fun, but now we're just like waiting for the next one. Okay. I thought it was entertaining overall. I, you know, it went back and forth. Yeah, every game, you know, kind of had its own ebb and flow to it. But I, I enjoyed this World Series. I didn't think it was uh, as bad as some have been in the past. So, but anyways, getting back to Strasburg, um, he's a free agent, uh, and what was he guaranteed uh, on the the deal he opted out of, Ryan? So he had a hundred million dollars left, though so much of it was deferred. It was more like ninety million in current value. So he opted out of, you know, a good chunk of money. But for a guy who I think he's 31, uh, four years at, you know, 90 to 100 million is well less than what he'll command on the open market. So, you know, it was kind of a no brainer for him to opt out. So any chance the Brewers go after somebody like that? I mean, for them to do that, 
they would have to feel that much better about him than any other team did. And so they would have to be the one to put in the high bid. It's very hard for me to imagine. Everybody knows how good Steven Strasburg is and everybody, you know, who has the means is going to want him if they can, you know, make it work, if it makes sense for them. So it's hard to imagine the Brewers being the ones to come in with the winning bid on him. Yeah. Not that they couldn't, but like it just seems far-fetched. And it doesn't really fit with how they've built their rosters in the past. No, but so. I, I, also, JP, I mean, Strasburg is a great pitcher when he's on the mound, but you, you look back at his his um, career, he doesn't have a lot of 200-inning-plus seasons under his belt. No, that's right. Uh, he hasn't. He hasn't been the most durable, but he's also not been allowed to be all that durable during some seasons. I mean, the Nationals have been kind of careful with him, but he has dealt with some injuries in, in the past, but... Um, yeah, it's it's a tough situation because the Brewers would obviously be a lot better with 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 Steven Strasburg uh, in their starting rotation. I, I, you know, it's a banal thing to say, but it's patently obvious. The problem is, um, but no, the team's not going to be willing to spend that. I, I mean, I, I don't even think there's there's like a maybe situation. I just think they they won't. I mean, is this going to be one of those free agent contracts that drags on and on? I mean, he's a Boris client. There's three Boris clients at the top of the market this year. And then there's a big gap to the fourth guy. So you have Cole, you have Strasburg, and you have Rendon. And then there's a massive gap. And I guess Grandall would be fourth. It, does that seem right? I mean, I can't think of anybody else who would be who would leap ahead of him. So, like, you have a big, big gap. And... Boris clients tend to go late into the winter. So don't be surprised if they're all still sitting there on January 1st. Hell, January 31st. If they're all I was going to say, there. it's going to be February. It's going to be guys are going to be recording, reporting to camp in February. And two, if not three of those four, will probably be unsigned. I mean, I could see Strasburg signing early, especially if he goes back to Washington. Like, I could see if he makes the decision, okay, I'm going to take basically the Washington's best offer because I want to stay there and I want to I want to go back. If he does that, then I could see him signing relatively quickly. But that would be – and we have precedent with that with Boris. It doesn't happen often, but there have been Boris clients in the past who have made the decision, hey, I just want to stay where I'm at, where I'm happy. And Boris has made that happen for them. So we'll see. Garrett Cole – did you guys catch after the World Series? He showed up in a Boris Corp hat and then said to the, the Astros PR people, I'm not an employee of yours anymore, uh, but yes, I'll go speak on my own behalf uh, instead of on behalf of the team. <laughs> I mean, he he was letting it be known in no uncertain terms what his position was. So I would expect him to be elsewhere. I don't think the Astros... I think the Astros got... Uh, Zach Greinke because they knew Garrett Cole was going to be leaving. So they they got ahead of the curve on that and knew, okay, now we still have two frontline starters for a couple years. So they, they got ahead of the curve on that. JP, is Garrett Cole the, the top free agent this offseason? Yeah, I would imagine so. I would be... I was just trying to think about, and I was kind of going through some things about who might be in for somebody like... Uh, Cole or or Strasburg I think the Yankees are an obvious obvious call um 
the Nationals can still absolutely uh, afford to bring Strasburg back if they want. I think Atlanta is a really good shout. Um, I mean, everybody's I, expecting the Angels. We'll I, sign one of the two. Yeah, I mean, if they want to, uh, like, you know, they've got Mike Trout. They they should go for it. They're going to have uh, Joe Adele coming up. They're going to have a lot of firepower to go on up. But uh, as of right now, the Atlanta only has fifty one million dollars, like committed for twenty twenty, and boy. And goodness knows they could use some pitching. So I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta came in pretty heavy for one of them. They should. If they go in and just try to like slide in with, I think their their payroll this past year, it was, they're like guaranteed, I think, for 2019, if I'm looking at it correctly, it was 85 million. You don't think they'll just wait for Dallas Keuchel again? <laughs> Sometimes you got to live that dream, man. I guess. Um, but what about Ren, what see. about Rendon? I mean, that's that's a huge name that I think until this uh, postseason had been relatively under the radar. I mean, he is easily one of the top hitters in baseball. I think people in baseball, the hardcore baseball fans like us, we know who Rendon is. He's been a really good player. He's been people have talked about him as like the most underrated player in baseball because he's consistently in the top ten for WAR and. Nobody talks about him that way just because his game is kind of all around and he doesn't do any one thing great. He just does everything really well. So people kind of miss on Rendon. I, I mean, his think, hitting, his hitting's pretty great. Well, no, but like he doesn't hit a ton of home runs. He doesn't hit for a super high average. It's more just he does everything really well. He gets on base at a very good clip. He hits a good number of home runs, but not an outstanding number. And like, I mean, he's are, just a very good player. Are, are you? I think you might be underselling Rendon a little bit. He has hit over 300 for the past three years. I mean, he had and he hit like what 30, 35 ish homers, if I remember correctly, this year. No, I'm just saying that people don't recognize in general until, like Steve said, this postseason, I think he kind of came more into the national consciousness in a way he hadn't been there before. I think he was often looked at as, you know, the the Bryce Harper shadow that cast over him was pretty big so he didn't get like the limelight in the same way that he did well he was interesting because postseason. he was overshadowed by two one ones that were on the team with yes everybody Strasburg was and Har- by those guys yeah with Strasburg and Harper because he was still was Rendon a top 10 pick when they uh, took yeah, yeah he was number six in 2011 in that loaded 2011 draft you know, so that's a guy with a lot of pedigree that turned out that, you know, they did a pretty good jo- job drafting when you're drafting at the top of the draft like that. You can screw that up pretty easy. Well, I mean, there was no way in hell they were going to take anybody other than Harper or Strasburg. Those were just no brainer. That's who we're taking picks. Uh, so that was that was really quite obvious. The Rendon one, he was interesting because Rendon was a guy who was projected to potentially be the number one pick in that 2011 draft, but he fell because he had some injuries at LSU and wasn't in God, this sounds, health. This sounds familiar. Garrett, well, you had Garrett Cole go number one instead. No, this sounds really familiar. Should we start dreaming? Kesson Hira, that's like his story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, sure. Kesson Hira, he's the new Anthony Rendon. Well, yeah, I mean, he fell down some because of injuries as well. Yeah. So we can look forward to him being a postseason hero as well eventually, right? That's what I heard you say. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. 
I think you should make bets to that effect right now. I think uh, I'm going to go start putting money all over the place. So, uh, okay. The Brewers have uh, Drew Pomerantz, Jay Jackson, Jordan Lyles, Matt Elbers, Gio Gonzalez. They all elected for free agency. Um, that's a lot of guys. So out of that list, I guess who, I mean, Ryan, you have any one of them back, but I guess how many of those guys can they probably lure back for next season and who would you want? Uh, Pomerantz top of the list. So if I could choose, I mean, is he going to be a major free agent signing? Like, I mean, he's going to cost some, some cash. He's not just going to be an under the radar. Like, Oh, they threw, you know, maybe a couple million at a guy. Yeah. They're going to have to spend some money. I think what will ultimately determine whether or not they bring him back is if he goes to like three years, if some team is willing to go to a third year on him, I think that would kind of take the Brewers out of the running on him. Whereas if he was able to be had for like a one year, say even like $10 million, I think that is something they would do because it's low risk and they could potentially get a a high impact guy out of it. I think the years are going to be instructive on Pomerantz. JP is Pomerantz your top guy for the Brewers this off season. In terms of the, the options that you put right there, I think, yeah, Pomerantz would be a huge addition to the team. Uh, I don't I struggle to see why a third year would be a deal breaker for the Brewers on Pomeranz. Um, I don't think the annual average value of of what it would take to get done makes a third year all that scary, uh, especially figuring that it's going to be after the CBA as well. It, that might be something that you see impact a lot of things like just teams not really understanding what or you know, teams being unsure of what is going to happen after the CBA and maybe not being willing to to go be- too far beyond that. But in terms of like offering eight or nine million dollars or ten million dollars for a third year, I mean, I can't see that being all that big of a deal. Um, I mean, so you think the the Brewers could potentially go like three years and I don't know twenty six million or something on him? I think if they got him for for three years, twenty six million, uh, it, they would bite their hands off for it. Oh, really? You think he's going to go for even more than that? I well, looking back at what like Ottavino got, he basically got three years, almost thirty million, and you know, Ottavino's your standard right-handed impact setup man. Yeah, I mean, he had a bit uh, more track record than Pomerantz did. Oh, yeah, Pomerantz, we're looking oh, at yeah. half a season of track record. Yeah, and uh, Ottavino had one season since, like, having an ERA above five. So. Oh, yeah, look at that. Okay. So, I mean. And a lot it, of teams probably would be intrigued that Pomerantz, until this season, had been a starter. So, I mean, the idea of using him as a multi-inning reliever shouldn't absolutely. be too much of an issue. And I think, again, you're going to see more and more teams invest money in their bullpen and invest less money in their starting rotation. Because if you can get more guys to go multiple innings, a la what the Rays are doing, what the Brewers are doing, um, what you've seen kind of like San Diego do at times, I think more and more folks are seeing that that is a way you can actually improve your run prevention. And especially when you're dealing with new rule changes and whatnot about like guys needing to go the whole inning and everything, having somebody like Pomeranz is going to be a much safer bet than, you know, spending. Because, like, again, why if it's four million dollars for, you know, we'll just stay with the Brewers. If it's four million dollars on a year for, like, you know, Alex Claudio or you can spend nine million dollars or ten million dollars for Drew Pomeranz, I like that's a no brainer. 
yeah, the question is how many other things are they trying to get done? I like know that's but Jordan that, Lyles. I know, but if we do that, then we'll never be able to actually talk about what they could do if we just say it always depends on everything else they're going to do. I mean, that's always true. Well, and also if they think Pomerantz is their biggest impact move and you can do that for, you know, $30 million contract total, that's cost effective as well when we're talking about. And I mean, if you were telling me that I could get, you know, Drew Pomerantz by himself or I could go get, you know, Jordan Lyles, Gio Gonzalez and Matt Albers, like I know what side of that I'm taking. Yeah, I kind of wonder with Lyles, there's a lot of uh, talk (laughs) among Brewer fans on Twitter.com of how much they they really need to push to bring Lyles back because of what happened last year with them not bringing him back and then reacquiring him and he was so good down the stretch but how big a priority I mean are you would you be comfortable with giving somebody like Jordan Lyles more than a one-year deal because I don't know that I necessarily would I I mean they were able to acquire him for nothing right if you could get him on a one-year four million dollar deal I think there's a lot to be said for that and there's you know, potential upside there. I think if you have to look at giving him more than one year, it becomes less interesting to me very quickly. I mean, what are you going to do? Go to Jordan Lyles and say, you know what, here, you can get a one, you can get a guaranteed one year deal. No, you might not start. Like that a good, great sales pitch. Like he knows any, he knows anything that they end up bringing back. Anybody for the starting rotation outside of maybe, Zach Davies and Brandon Woodruff, like outside of those two. Yeah. I mean, you might be bullpen. You might be somebody they try to outright to, to triple a, you might like, there's a lot of things that can happen. And I also think that yes, Jordan Lyles had a lot of success down the stretch. I think if you look at the peripheral numbers, there's a lot that you shouldn't be relying on two months of data to, to make that, to, to make that case on. He was not bad. Even the peripheral numbers say he was not bad, but he was fine. Um, and if, you bring him back like if it's if it's like do you want jordan lyles or you know chase anderson i think they're kind of the same thing like i don't i don't really care either one yeah the one a guy also i wanted to bring up here because i think it could be a sneaky pickup and we know that as the season wound down they were starting to really trust him craig council trusted jay jackson at the end of the year in some bigger spots. So I wonder if he could be a guy that they bring back sort of a, a, not a headline sort of move. People would kind of go, okay, that fine, whatever. And then he could end up being a potential big piece of their bullpen in, in 2020 as well. So I'd say look out for that as well, depending on if he wants to come back or not. But I mean, do they spend on somebody like that? Because I think if you aren't a top, top tier guy, the Brewers have shown, they're willing to let those guys walk, even if we say like, well, that that can be a productive reliever. Well, it depends how much. But I don't think we're talking about much for Jay Jackson. You know, yeah, you are talking. I, I think a million or two would probably get it done. You are talking about a roster spot, though. You are talking about a roster spot, and that's a big deal in how they do things. So, yeah, and that'll be one of the things I would say to watch this winter is pay a close attention to what MLB does with their pitcher rules because they're going to put a cap on how many pitchers a team can carry. And if the Brewers get 14 as opposed to 13, it's going to be a big difference in how they go about things, I think. So pay attention to that. Hopefully we'll know relatively soon what MLB is going to do with that. Say, are they settling that at the winter meetings? I'm surprised that it's still a debate right now. I thought all those rules were settled for 2020. 
I would think that's maybe a general manager's meeting thing, which is like three weeks before the winter meetings. It's like mid-November. So I think that hopefully gets settled well before that because that's a thing teams really need to know. I mean, but to be fair, like to, to skip down a little bit, because we were saying that they have to decide on some options uh, for different players. And, and I apologize for skipping. But like on the Jordan Lyles point, if you wanted to tell me that they ended up declining Chase Anderson because they were going to sign like Jordan Lyles for one year, five million, then great. Like that's that to me is the only reason that I think you would absolutely commit to somebody like Jordan Lyles. But I mean, in their starting rotation next year, they're going to have Woodruff. They're going to have Davies. They're going to have, um, you know, Brent Suter might be a guy that's going to be there. You've got Chase Anderson that that might be there. You've got uh, Corbin Burns that they kind of want to bring back. You've got a lot of different reasons. And, and the question is going to be, do you want a legitimate upgrade for your starting rotation? Or are you just going to say, we're going to just grab a bunch of guys and throw them in? Yeah, I think to add to the list, you just mentioned Adrian Hauser. Should oh, probably yeah. Adrian Hauser. Yeah, I mean, Freddie Peralta, Peralta too. I should get a shout there as well. I think that he's probably going to be in in uh, the bullpen, but yeah, I mean, he's somebody that should absolutely be added too. So uh, we do have a couple of options the Brutes have to decide on by today. We're obviously recording on Sunday, but this comes out on Monday. So I guess uh, who wants to take a shot at whether or not the Brewers uh, pick up these options? To find out if you're wrong, like immediately the next day. <laughs> yeah, we have Chase Anderson. Good. A lot of people will be hearing this before yeah. the decision is actually made. Yeah, so uh, we have Chase Anderson uh, has eight and a half million dollars, um, and Eric Thames is at seven and a half. So it's a five hundred thousand dollar buyout for Anderson if they turn it down, and a uh, million dollars for Thames. So who who's back? Who do they pick up? I mean, we were talking about. Go ahead, JP. I was going to say, I assume they probably do both. Um, I think it's more likely that they end up picking up Thames than Anderson. But I, I think just because Thames has proven himself that he can be uh, an effective platoon option as well. And he can, can play some outfield if, if needed. And, you know, that's not great. But also, if you're talking about that 26th guy on the bench being somebody that is going to, especially in the NL, primarily be a pinch hitter. Eric Thames is going to have some value if they end up putting pitcher caps on. So I think Eric Thames is going to be somebody that makes a lot of sense for me, especially because it is a $1 million buyout. Um, there's not a lot of difference between that. It's like, what, six and a half million. Um, Chase Anderson, I just think there are so many different arms that they can kind of bring in that are the same profile. Uh, the only difference for me is the fact that Chase Anderson was so consistent over the over the course of this year but more than that he's comfortable with how the brewers run their starting rotation and how they run their pitching staff and so if he does get moved out of the starting rotation it probably won't bother him because he knows i mean it'll bother him but it won't it won't bother him to the point that like they'd lose him in the clubhouse or whatever because he knows that he's going to come back i mean they kept him off the postseason roster and then relied on him really really heavily this year so i think that kind of flexibility is probably important for the clubhouse yeah he would have been a significant yeah. pitcher in the postseason if they would have had a longer run this season yeah i mean he was going to matter he was going to make starts so i i think it's important to look back if you look at the last three years of chase anderson he has 438 and one-thirds innings pitched um He's taken the ball 87 times, 82 of those are starts. And when he was not starting, he was coming out of the bullpen in kind of a reliever situation or in a like an extended starter situation. And 
you had uh, overall he put up a 118 ERA plus. So a 363 ERA, 118 ERA plus. He has been a really steady presence for the Brewers, and I think he sometimes gets taken for granted a little bit. I think they will pick him up. I think it's also worth noting his uh, MLB trade rumors did do a projection on what he would get in arbitration. Now, he doesn't get to go to arbitration because if the Brewers pick him up, uh, they get him at the option, which was $8 million. Um, And if they... If they let him go, then he's a free agent and he'll sign with whoever for whatever. But MLB Trade Rumors had him projected at $10.3 million in arbitration. So, like, the arbitration system would pay him more than what the Brewers have to pay him. And I think that that sort of thing does matter a little bit in terms of how much uh, value the Brewers are going to place on him. He is a guy who has been steady for them and... There is value in that, especially when you are going to potentially be running through a lot of different starters. It's good to have a guy like Chase Anderson around who you know you can hand the ball every fifth day, and he's going to be a reasonable option to do that. Yeah, I think the the important thing to recognize about Chase Anderson is, um, you know, much like lacrosse, he's fine. <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's a situation. I mean, if you want to say, yes, he definitely his ERA plus – um, compared to league average has been solid. But if you look at his DRA, it's never been great. I mean, even his great year with, with the Brewers in 2017, it was above four. And then uh, 20, 2018, it was five and a half. This past year, it was almost five. And so, yeah, I mean, his ERA was was 4.2. It's like your quintessential back, back-end starter that you want to just be able to eat up innings and, and kind of sometimes he's going to go well, sometimes he's going to go really badly and you just kind of ride it out because over the course of the season, it'll, it'll be fine. Um, but at the same time, I think if you're looking for a place to quote unquote, save money, there are a lot of guys across the entire baseball landscape that you could sign who would be fine. Yeah. I mean, so you think they do pick up both options. Yeah. I think they should pick up both options. You're a little iffy on Anderson. Oh, I don't really care if they pick up Anderson or not, but I think they will. Okay, I would say I do think they pick them both up, and I think they should pick both of them up. I think Thames is the easier of the two calls, but I think Chase Anderson is is good enough that you're still getting a value on him in that position. Well, I so. think Thames is also in a position that they don't have real solid options at the moment, so well, you you at I least have a half. I was looking through the I was looking through the rundown and I was like waiting for the spot where I could put in some like hot takes for who I think they should go for. Uh, and, you know. Well, I, I asked who would sign an 80 million dollar contract with the Brewers this offseason. I don't think this person would sign an 80 million dollar contract, but the one that everybody would get all upset about because of defensive reasons. Uh, bring me Edwin Encarnacion and put him at first base and let's roll. God, isn't he retirement age? I don't care. He's going to he's absolutely mashes. Yeah, you like, know who's interesting as a if they elect not to go with Thames, um, Jose Abreu is Edwin Encarnacion. Jose Abreu is a free agent, and he is a guy who is incredibly well respected around the league. I think that they they very much value what Eric Thames brings to like the clubhouse as well. But Abreu has a lot of those same qualities. People talk about him in glowing terms, and he's still a pretty good baseball player too and would give them a right-handed power bat in the middle of the lineup that they at times this year lacked, right? Because they were counting on that to be uh, 
um, Jesus Aguilar. And they were, they were counting on that and it didn't happen. And when Ryan Braun and, and uh, Keston hero were not available, they really suffered from having not a lot of left hand or right-handed pop. I so, will say Edwin Encarnacion was better than Jose Abreu in 2019. He also can't play defense. Neither can Jose Abreu. And I think that also pretty over uh, it's, it's overhyped uh, in terms of like what Edwin Encarnacion can, can do and can't do in terms of his, his uh, first base defense. I think outside of like four people, we would look at them and say, no, you can't play first base defense. And I mean, it's not like uh, the Brewers have always had sparkling defense at first base. Prince Fielder <laughs> set a standard that I think most can't really attain with his inability to play in the field. So, I yeah. Mean, and if you, you look at, I mean, it. if you look at what Encarnacion has done in terms of his last five years of defense at first base, and yeah, he spent some time at, at DH as well because he's got that flexibility. It's never been worse than you know, what, a minus two DRS, and it's always been right around zero, even if he's had about 500 500 innings at first base i mean it's it's not it's not a train wreck it's not it's not like something you'd be super excited about but it's you know whatever do you think his power would play up in miller park would he get kind of a a grandal bump i well he was playing in the yankee stadium so i don't think it would be like that's uh, right new new yankee stadium is a different beast than what it used to be well and also right-handed power plays very differently than left-handed power in that stadium so miller park plays a little bit more even um with a slight advantage to the left-handed side but uh and also for the uh advanced metrics in terms of defense uh edwin encarnacion is about as good as eric thames eric thames is not a good defensive player no he's not no he's not but we love him anyways acceptable we no, love, no. We yeah, love we him do. anyways, and he plays in the outfield as well. Oh, yeah, hell yeah, he does. I mean, think and, about that. He's terrible at first base, and we go, now go run around in the outfield, do. Tell you what, Ed, well, he takes a glove and does it. Like, Edwin Encarnacion played third base once upon a time. If you need some thir- third base depth. That was a, <laughs> you know, he was a great player in fantasy when he had third base eligibility. And he definitely didn't have the E5 nickname for any bad reason. <laughs> okay. The Brewers have until December 2nd to decide uh, to tender arbitration to... Should I read this entire list off? I mean, we can go through a lot of them quickly. No, I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, quiet. Yeah. Listen. They have Josh Hader, Corey Knabel, Zach Davies, Junior Guerra, Ben Gamble, Brent Suter, Alex Claudio, Orlando Arcia, Travis Shaw, Tyler Saladino, and Jimmy Nelson. They have to make decisions on all of those guys. So I guess uh, we know Hater is a no-brainer, right? Yep, at four point seven, right? Yeah, Zach Davies is probably a no-brainer at five. I think so. Corey Knable at five point one two five million. Sign me up. I mean, JP, are you all in on Knable next season, even after the the injury this year? Yes, I am. Okay, uh, Junior Guerra at three and a half. I think that's pretty easy to pick up. Yeah. Okay, we got Ben Gamble. Now, okay, Gamble's an interesting one because, and we have, we have a question about this from uh, PB Brew Crew on our Patreon. He says, how does Trent Grisham fit into the 2020 roster? And I think Ben Gamble probably plays into that, doesn't he? Because as of right now, they kind of have a similar position. Don't you think so, JP? 
I do, but I also think that you know exactly what Ben Gamble is, and he's a really solid fourth outfielder that you know you can rely upon. He's not going to hit for a ton of power, but he can play all three defensive positions. He can still get on base. His batting average will be fine. Um, he gives you a lot of flexibility. He doesn't expect to play every single day. And as much as I am very happy with what Trent Grisham was able to do this year, and I think he showed a lot of positive signs, you really still don't know what you're going to get for Trent Grisham whatsoever. And I'm not really sure... Like the, there wouldn't be a scenario in which I would want to cut bait with Ben Gamble because I was like, you know, Trent Grisham is going to be absolutely the guy no matter what, because Ben Gamble not isn't going to cost much. If he's your fifth outfielder, that's fine. He's still going to be able to play a bunch of different positions um, and he's going to give you that defensive flexibility down the stretch in games if you need defensive replacements. And fifth outfielder, which had become a position that was out of vogue in MLB, is coming back because of the 26th roster spot. So we will start to see more fifth outfielder types around and Gamble fits perfectly for that. And I do think we'll potentially see, we talked about it last week, but Ryan Braun going back and getting some reps at first base would not surprise me at all. Well, so no, not if you had Edwin Encarnacion at first base, there wouldn't even be room for him. Uh, that is true, but yep. I don't think that's actually going to happen. So, <laughs> well, you better watch yourself. Okay. We do have a question from James Vandenberg. Uh, what are the chances uh, Arcia and Shaw are back in 20? Stearns has always been focused on preserving depth, but I could see that changing with these two. And again, they have decisions to make with both of them. So, What are the see, numbers, Steve, on uh, those guys projected by MLB Trade Rumors? You have 2.7 for Arcia and 4.7 for Shaw. I, I Unless they've already got something uh, planned for either shortstop or third base, I think they absolutely pick them both up. And then if they end up having to eat that money later, I think that they end up doing it. Um, RC, I don't, I don't see any scenario in which they end up cutting him. I do see a scenario in which they absolutely go out and try to pick somebody up. Maybe a, a DD Gregorius is somebody that they look at for second for, for shortstop that could come in and be a meaningful upgrade. Uh, Travis Shaw, if they already know and they've been having discussions with somebody like Mustakis and they say, you know, we're going to give you a, a couple of, you know, two or three year deal or whatever, and they feel comfortable to be able to, to part ways with Travis Shaw, that's fine. But at the same time, I don't think you can. I don't think you can just let somebody like. Shaw go and not have a replacement option, but like the reason I hesitate on it is like. Because I was, I, I just pulled up the the free agents at third base, and I mean there are a lot of not like great options, but Anthony solid. Rendon's a great option. Anthony Rendon is a really nice option, but you know Estrue Cabrera is fine. Uh, Josh Donaldson still showed that he was able to, to to put together some impact at bats this year. Wilmer Flores is somebody that the Brewers once tried to go get, and he's not a good defensive option, but he's like you know, fine if they needed to be able to get somebody at the last minute, if everything else absolutely just tanked, um, you know, Josh Harrison was hurt, but I still, you know, I, I liked him once upon a time. Eduardo Nunez is going to still be out there. Um, you know, Pablo Sandoval could come and piss everyone off. That'd be funny. Uh, it wouldn't be funny, but I'd laugh. Um, remember when you decide to tender a contract to a guy, it is not final. You can cut that guy in spring training and you have to pay them like a small part of, I think maybe it's like the, the major league minimum, but they're then just free agents. So you can tender a contract to a guy and then not keep them. And I, I think that in both of those cases, they may go out on the free agent market and look for upgrades. I think that 
it's going to be much harder to upgrade from like a Travis Shaw than people think just because of how down the season was this year, but what his past record was, it's going to be difficult to do that at the kind of price point that Travis Shaw can be had at. Well, I, so two things. Number one, I think it's a great point to to talk about that they can be that they can part ways in in spring training and not be on the hook for the whole thing. I think that's a good corrective. Um, I don't think it's actually a huge. There, it would be a lot of money to have an upgrade for Travis Shaw at third base because I think that you can look at the upgrade in two ways. Are you looking at the upgrade in terms of of uh, expected outcome in terms of what you feel like you can rely upon for? Uh, production at third base and what you feel comfortable you know are you investing in certainty or are you saying like in order to upgrade travis shaw you have to sign somebody that you feel like could be better than travis shaw if everything comes back in terms of 2018 and i don't think that's a reasonable a reasonable standard that the brewers would have to go by at third base I mean, I think that it has to be somewhere in the middle of those two points. You don't necessarily expect 17 and 18 Travis Shaw to walk through the door, but I think it's also a major mistake to expect 2019 Travis Shaw to walk through the door as well. So I think you have to be somewhat in the middle. But but at the same time, just because you cut you you move on from him and put somebody else doesn't mean again just like jesus aguilar you're saying you don't think he can be a a a positive contributor you're saying what the brewers need at third base is not the profile that shaw has in terms of the volatility that's there i think there's absolutely an argument to say do you want somebody who is a win and a half kind of guy at third base that you could get on six seven million dollars in a year i think Uh, yeah i'd rather have shaw for four million and take the shot at getting a three to four win player again Right. As and, opposed to then what's your plan if it doesn't happen? Uh, you try to backfill as much as you can. And then if you have to go on the market in midseason, try Corey, to do that. You're Corey Spangenberg. Yeah. But if yeah, backfill with what I was going to say, and there's an argument to be said, if you're in a position again, unless the Brewers are able to upgrade meaningfully and they hit elsewhere in a lot of different places, if Travis Shaw implodes to the point that you're going to want to you're going to need to wholesale replace him. You're maybe not in the market. And that might be a thing that happens too. I think that for the Brewers, they're going to have to, we've talked about this in the past. The Brewers are going to have to take some risks this off season because uh, the roster as it's situated is probably a low eighties win roster, unless there's some stuff we're just really not seeing. And so they're going to have to take some chances on some guys and it's going to be, it's going to be tricky to get to that point without having some risk because yeah. they don't have the money to go out and add your your six seven win players that are available on the free agent market. They just don't like they're not. I shouldn't say they don't have the money. They're not going to spend that money. If you so, are, if you are going to say that they need to go out and take some chances on high upside guys because they're not going to have the ability to go out and get your Anthony Rendones. They're also then going to need to they can't take a shot on absolutely every position and they've got a lot of different places to go, meaning you're going to need stability at places as well. You can't just say all of them have to be upside plays. You take your one or two chances in terms of upside plays if you need it, and you also have to go and then find stability elsewhere because you can't go into a situation in which you see a legitimate pathway to say four guys in our our starting lineup are absolute black holes again because we missed on them all. 
that's why I would focus on trying to bring back Yasmani Grandal to yeah. give yourself another really good yeah. position at catcher and then take the risk on Travis Shaw at third as opposed to trying to bring back Mike Moustakis. Sure. Because I, I think I, that that gives you the combination of upside and certainty that right. but then is again, workable. You're then going to need to spend money on certainty probably at shortstop. You're going to need to spend money on certainty in your bullpen. You're going to need to, to like at first base, you're still going to have to have a question about in terms of what you're doing there. Like it's not two positions. It's not if you spend big at catcher and then you go for big upside at third base, then suddenly you can just let the chips fall where they may in a bunch of different positions. You have to be able to know you've got production at, I would say at least three of your four or five problem positions. And you can't go in and say, we spent big on this one and we're going to roll the dice on guys that we feel comfortable with or have upside projections at all of these places. So if Travis Shaw is your upside option at third base, that's fine. But then you need certainty at shortstop or you need certainty for a right-handed platoon mate for, for Thames at, at first base. The options aren't just one or two different things. They're going to need to have options across the board. Yeah, and the free agent market at shortstop is, I mean, it's D.D. Gregorius and beyond that, it's a, you know, a lot of just guys sort of situation. There's there's not really a ton there. I mean, who, Elvis Andrus is going to be back. He didn't opt out of his contract with Texas. Xander Bogarts is off the market. I mean, Brock Holt, Jordy Mercer, Chris Owings, these guys do anything for you? Because they're the ones that are going to be out there. Yeah, but I'm saying if if you were trying to like create the situation in which you're saying like we're going to go with certainty, we're going to go with all these things, I would almost like there's an argument for me that I would feel comfortable going on like a two year deal for Jason Castro at at uh, at catcher, and I'd like to you know go for maybe a two year more expensive deal for somebody like Josh Donaldson at third base and try that. I mean, if that all could be worked out. That would be one thing. I'm very interested. Josh Donaldson is an interesting one because he took a big one-year deal. I believe it was over $20 million to sign with the Braves this last year and had a very good season. He really had a bounce-back season, showed he was healthy, showed he was capable of putting up big offensive numbers again. And I'm not sure what his what his contract situation would look like now. Yeah. I, I really don't know. He is he another guy stuck in no man's land? For he's a, a contract, well, yeah. he's another guy. It's going to be on a big one or two year deal, and I think that that could potentially be a way that the Brewers decide to go. But I mean, is he really? If if those guys hit their peaks, if both Travis Shaw and uh, Josh Donaldson hit what they're capable of and are as good as they're capable of, is Josh Donaldson that much better than Travis Shaw? Yes. I, eh, Josh Donaldson was a five-win player this year. And Travis Shaw was a four-win player two years ago. Is that right? Depending on what you're looking at. Like, yeah. And so, so you're talking about a difference of, you know, Travis Shaw on a one-year $4.7 million you're looking uh, at, deal versus at Donaldson for $20 million? Josh Donaldson has more power than Travis Shaw. He's had more track record in terms of being able to have uh, uh, an ability to both get on base and not have an absolute crater in terms of his batting average. And he's a better defender than Travis Shaw. Is he a better defender than Travis Shaw at this point? What were his defensive numbers like this year? Because that's given his health history. That was where I kind of wondered. Yeah. Well, his DRS plus 15. 
Wow. That's a really good number. Okay. Okay. So I do want to hit one more guy in particular. Uh, has Jimmy Nelson thrown his last inning for the Brewers? Oh, man. I hope not. Because they have a decision to make on him. And he's. Uh, and what was the projected number? Projected at $3.7 million. And he definitely was not worth that last season. And it's hard to make a judgment considering, you know, the long road working back. And I think everybody kind of wants to see him work back. But. I mean, does it make sense for the Brewers to try to give him time when they're paying him that much money? And he was so far away when he was on the mound last season. Uh, I think, I think they'd be crazy to let him go. Like I you, think they will let him go. You think, I, but but JP, you think the potential for Jimmy Nelson to be a quality major league pitcher is still there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think if you look at Jimmy Nelson and being able to actually have a legitimate offseason and spring training to be able to work on things over the course of an entire year, and he's projected to make $3.7 million, I'm shocked that Travis Shaw being a million dollars more is something that like Ryan sees as a good gamble where like Jimmy Nelson being $3.7 million is is something that like is a beyond the pale to the point that they like that doesn't make any sense. I think Jimmy Nelson is... Jimmy Nelson is still absolutely a guy that can have a big league role in a, in a, a meaningful capacity. What does that mean? Like, uh, are, are you talking about pre-injury Jimmy Nelson or just like a guy who is a starting pitcher you can run out there regularly? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you looked at what I don't think there's much to say that like Jimmy Nelson couldn't put together what people are now saying that Adrian Hauser could be. Okay, I think most people would be happy if. Jimmy Nelson could be Adrian Hauser. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm I, not expecting it at this point. I think uh, people are maybe um, being a little bit, uh, I don't know, like optimistic on saying what Adrian Hauser was this year. Well, uh, I think Adrian Hauser was a guy that the Brewers have liked for a long time and that they brought him back slowly from the, the Tommy John surgery that he had. And he has shown out in the big leagues that first he was good in the bullpen and he struggled some in the rotation and then he adjusted and started to pitch considerably better out of the rotation. I think that there's a lot to say for that. Jimmy Nelson. I I mean, you guys know biggest Jimmy Nelson fan in the world. He, he has still not come back and shown that he can get big league hitters out on anything like a regular basis since that surgery, which is now over two years in the past. So, but then at the same time, like praising somebody, praising the organization for trusting and bringing Adrian Hauser slowly back to the point that he could be successful. I would also imagine that they would want to be gave, they would want to give Jimmy Nelson every capacity to do that as well. Yeah. But the question is, Adrian Hauser costs $600,000 a year for them to give him that shot. $3 million. Like Daniel Descalso has like a two year deal for like $8 million and he's like not useful. But considering how many of these guys they have to decide on, because we just got done talking about Travis Shaw. We just got done talking about Orlando Arcia. We just got done talking about uh, Eric Thames and Chase Anderson. They have a lot of guys, and they have to pick right here more often than they pick wrong. And they need to be correct about this. And at this point, I don't know how they could have faith that Jimmy Nelson is going to come back. Now, I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying that they shouldn't even maybe like if they were to decline the the tender on him, they could then go out and try to sign him for a on the free agent market 
depending on what kind of a, a market emerges for him, maybe they do that then. I'm just saying that given the restrictions that they that they have right now with how many players they're trying to wiggle onto their roster, they're going to have to make some tough calls. And I think that Jimmy Nelson is a guy, given what you've seen of him in the two years since the injury and how the, he hasn't come back from it, like we haven't seen it, uh, there it's gotten to be the time to move on from him, which is really tough and it sucks, but they have to make some tough calls. And that's a tough call that I think they need to make at this point. I'd rather, I'd rather have Jimmy Nelson, a heartbeat over Jordan Lyles in a heartbeat. Really? I think, hmm. I think a judging a guy coming back from a mid, a mid year uh, run up in which he's trying to figure out if he's going to pitch out of the bullpen or if he's going to pitch out of the starting rotation, had no spring training whatsoever is trying to work back into a, uh, into a pitching role that he's not familiar with in the first place. And saying that like over the, having an actual off season to be able to build up his arm strength, to be able to go into spring training in 2017, he was a dude that was like, cause Adrian Hauser is a guy that had 11 starts and yeah, he, you know, he had about a hundred innings of a dude who had a three, eight ERA. And I think projecting Adrian Hauser to be somewhat meaning more of a meaningful pitcher saying that he's going to be a dude who's going to start 30 times and have a low three ERA is the rosiest of glasses. I still think Adrian Hauser can be an absolutely useful pitcher. I'm not saying that he can't be, but I didn't say anything like that though. Right. So I'm saying that I'm, so I'm saying that if you don't think that Jimmy Nelson could come back and be somebody who could throw a hundred innings and be somebody that like has a three, eight, three, nine ERA. I think that's, that's a big call. That's basically looking at 10 start or 10 outings in the big leagues and saying that, well, that's what he is now. I don't, I don't think that I want to bet on it. I think that it's possible. It is a possible outcome. I don't want to bet $3.7 million on it, not with the other bets that they potentially have to make this winter. I think that it's a, it's probably a losing bet, and I would rather not do it. Okay, final question of the day. Uh, we have one on Patreon from Adam Post. Yes, are the Brewers bringing back the Ball Glove logo as the primary logo? Please let it be so. And I mean, that's what the leak shows. The league shows that. No, the leak. They've actually leaked oh, the out. Leak. The leak. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah it, by all accounts, it looks like it's going to be a different color scheme. But yeah, it, by all accounts, it looks like they're bringing back the ball and glove. Uh, I was surprised that like some people were upset about it. But oh, I saw everybody was just like thrilled by the fact that they were bringing it back as a primary logo. Which I don't know with how much it was used this year. It kind of seemed like it was already the primary logo. This just seems to be making it official. Yeah, I mean, they're bringing it back with the current dark blue gold color scheme as opposed to the lighter blue uh, yellow scheme. And what else, we were talking about this before, Steve. It's like a different baseball. Like, it's the seams are different on the baseball in the middle. And sure. the webbing is a little different. Yeah, I mean, there's some tweaks to it. Whatever. Saying that they put the juice ball in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> It's very, it's a very 2019 logo. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they had been leaning on the ball and glove logo more and more over the past four or five years, as you brought up. So it's not really like a huge change. I am surprised. I did not think they were going to go back to it as a primary. I thought they were always going to stick with it as a secondary because I know I always, I always tell... like the way you thought this was marketing. Let's keep a crappy logo that nobody likes so we can sell the ball and glove right. as a secondary logo and make more money. That was your idea. 
it made, it makes no sense. It's not a logo nobody likes. People do like that logo. Nobody it's has good. any feelings. I'm wearing Hold on. it right now. It is on my body. No one think- has any feelings for that logo. Therefore, it is a crappy logo. Like, if you just see it and don't care, that's not a good logo. Yeah, I was going to say, do you actually, like, have feelings about it? Or are you just like, this is what they wear? And so, like, this is me supporting the team. It's it's a fine logo. It, it is we fine. just talked it's about it. It is across. a fine yeah. logo. Yeah, it's it is a little... Across. It's, it's the lacrosse of logos. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was always just kind of like when they went to the M and the wheat, or is it wheat or barley? Did they decide it's that? Barley. This, it's okay. From the the circular uh, logo with the script brewers through it, I mean, that made sense. I I don't think people realized they were still using that as a primary logo until like two seasons ago. So at least they went away from that one because that was a little odd. But, uh, yeah, I mean, go back to the ball and glove. That's what everybody wants. That's what the well, Brewers are. I was surprised that they didn't do it a few years ago, to be honest. That's what I was thinking, too. I thought they were going to go well, back to it a little bit ago. And the reason it's happening now is because it's the 50th anniversary. So that's why it's happening when it's happening. It's but, Well, then let's do the Barrel Man. I mean, I love the Barrel Man, but I also think that they probably worry about that as a a messaging thing in 2019 2020 Why, it's not like he's know. oozing beer out of his orifice or anything yeah i think it's also that i also don't want to wear anything with the barrel man on it i like the barrel man, that's a, like the barrel sh- man the barrel man is the perfect like alternate logo it's like, like it's like if, if if a minor league team had it everyone would be like that's super cool yes or if they just kind of want to bust it out on some extra gear and basically you're a you know fan of the brewers you know what it is but people around the country don't quite have the association of it or the ball and glove everybody knows the ball and glove logo well and so the padres are going back to the the brown uniforms which i should have done a long time ago i'm super stoked for that but like i will say the barrel man's better than whatever like what was it the utter tuggers or whatever the they crap like the uh oh the that t- the timber rattlers are trying to do that was not good that was not good. That's minor leagues. They're they're well, always they trying do, something. They'll do anything to get people to buy gear to show up at the stadium. Like who was it that had like the self emulating uh, mush- <laughs> uh That's the, uh, the marshmallows, Rocky vibe, man. Yeah, Rocky Mountain vibe. Don't harsh your mellow. Well, the, then there was also the Shankala in uh, in San Antonio this year that looked like something else that got people very worked up so also the what was it the grand junction chubs oh yeah that that was really fun that That whole thing was amazing well that was funny because like you had somebody that was hired to do social media that didn't understand how social media worked and (laughs) like sending out a message to everybody that like you were you did not want to be called (laughs) the grand junction chubs and please stop doing it just meant everyone was going to do it more like like you gotta know i understand that whoever's running social media i'm sure is not like you know uh, uh is is performing a lot of different roles for that organization um but at the same time like be on twitter for a hot minute you understand that that's not that's not the way to go <laughs> it was the most fun thing though when that was happening it was truly amazing yeah so anyways well i'll just say i'm glad i've been collecting ball and glove gear for the last few years so i won't have to go through and do a a large replacement of everything um i think the ball and glove logo was always way better for me i loved it no it was always great i 
I I said years ago that they should just bring it back with the the new color scheme if they wanted to make it like their own thing as opposed to just like we're throwing it back to the early 80s or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, they're not bringing back like the powder blue road uniforms or anything like that. No, and I'll be interested to see if they end up doing like pinstripes or what the rest of the like the the rest of the uniform is going to look like. I, I think that'll be interesting. Um, I think if they try to do it basically to look just like the 80s, but just like to um, update the color scheme, like just go back to the old one then. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I don't need the pinstripes back. Um, you know, I don't have like a, a real affinity for that. Where like that has to come back. Just go with ball and glove. I'm good with that going forward. So that'll be fun to see hopefully in 2020, though it's not official yet, but everybody seems to be on board with it. And like I said, they were basically using it almost every game last year anyway. So, you know, it was kind of the uh, unofficial official logo. So um, I think we're going to wrap it up. You guys have any other thoughts before we go? No, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting winter just because there's so many moving parts and they have to make a lot of really big decisions that are going to heavily impact what next year's team looks like. So I would expect, and Stearns hinted at this at the end of uh, the year press conference, expect a lot of transactions. They're going to be making some moves. So we will see. Bring me a three-team trade or just don't bother with the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last three-team trade of any consequence in MLB? It's been a while, hasn't it? No, it was just the Bauer trade over the summer. Oh, yeah, you're right. Then that was definitely of consequence. Well, so and what are, what are the winter medians? Um, early December. Okay. Well, Ryan usually have these things ready to go. That's why I asked. They're just before the main event, which everybody should be excited about, which is the Rule Five Draft, Steve. Okay. I so thought you're going to say the main. I thought you were going to say the main event when you decide to ruin some GM's Christmas by breaking a trade early on him. No. Isn't that usually like I don't know December twenty third, twenty fourth? That's what we do. No. I, no, that was that was uh, December like fourteenth, fifteenth. The Jeff Supon thing happened on Christmas Eve. Was that it? Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm not in the business of in, being interested in breaking things anymore. I thought you're going to say, you, ru- gonna say ruining Christmases. Oh no, that's fine. You can ruin Christmas. Yeah. I mean, you Doug Melvin was just trying can. to help. He was just trying to help the elves get their orders out up in uh, northern Canada, and then all of a sudden this news breaks. So way to go, JP. Way to go. So I, w- I was having a conversation with my with my niece trying to explain to her how uh, how reindeer can land on the roof when it's icy up in Minnesota. That was a and she was like, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Like, how could you how could they land out there? And I was <laughs> like, well, do you think that do you think that Santa doesn't have the technology available living in the North Pole doesn't understand how to, to deal with ice? And she was like, she goes, I just don't, I just don't think it cars like cars are very I, slippery on the ice. I, I thought you were going to say she was going to complain about the fact that like a sleigh just can't get lift. How does it fly? Nah, she's like five. Okay. I'm impressed that she's worried about slipping on ice. So she has no, other, I mean, other areas of physics. She's kind of figuring out. She hasn't figured out lift and drag and stuff like that yet. No, nah, I go, but we could teach her. We could bring in some stuff about the baseball and bring in some baseball prospectus articles to talk about drag. <laughs> my my problem with Santa was always how does he fit all those presents into a sleigh? Because he's got to take a lot of presents around. What is he doing? A bunch of trips back to the North Pole to pick up more stuff? How is this working? Like, is it a uh, clown car situation? How does this work? No, that is the least of my concern. So my parents actually like. So we always got our presents on Christmas Eve, um, and it happened while we were at Christmas Eve mass. 
And so when everyone like at school was like, your parents do it. I was like, I, my parents are like, they're literally with me. Like, like they're with me. I don't know. And everyone's like, it's your parents. I was like, I can't, they're, they're with me. I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, I got eyes on them. <laughs> so, but then I ended up like realizing, uh, you know, I don't remember how old I was, but uh, I was 27. Um, no. I, and then I realized that, uh, that every single time we went to like two years in a row, I recognized that they like, Oh, somebody was like, Oh, I got to go to the bathroom real quick before we like get going. Uh, and so I remember my mom was like, I got to use the best, use the restroom really quick. And I was like, yeah, me too. And she goes, you can sit there. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, so there it goes. Well, we'll, we'll have to figure out other ways to trick children into believing in Santa Claus, I guess, going forward. So, uh, anyways, we gotta, we gotta get through Thanksgiving first. You could tell, you could tell this weather has already screwed with everybody here in Wisconsin because, uh, Halloween was one kind of hellscape. That's all I can say. When you're my shoveling mom, in October. Yeah, my mom sent a bunch of pictures to show what the weather was like. Yeah, when you're shoveling in October and then it sticks around for the week, like that sucks. So I won't I won't tell you how it is here, man. It's still super nice. Don't want to hear about it. So anyways, when, uh when does it start raining for like six months? Isn't that like right now? I don't know, man. That was supposed to start in September and that still hasn't really happened. I mean it's rained, but not like terribly. Oh, great. That makes me feel good about everything. Yeah. It's snowing here. There's no rain out in the rainforest. Yeah, sounds good. So anyways, hey, remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at Tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Yeah, so we got everything on there. We got both the baseball podcast and the football podcast, so check that one out. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to your podcast. You can leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.